0: you hit it, the nail right on the head, the freedom. Yeah. And so one thing trauma survivors feel often is trapped, trapped in their pain, trapped in the memory, trapped in all the things. And so I am finding freedom and asking that question is how can I allow God to care for me today? Living in the freedom that we don't have to be defined by what tried to break us, and, but living in that, that conversation, that sweet, commune conversation with Jesus in the dark hours is a privilege that I would not give back if asked. And my trauma did that, but I wouldn't give it back if I was asked. It's too precious. It's too amazing to have that experience. And I wouldn't give it away for a million dollars.
1: When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you first-hand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. I'm going to keep this introductory short because you want to get to the good stuff. And that is to hear what my guest Amy Watson has to share. I met Amy this past August of 2021 in Nashville at a podcast conference, and I wish we'd had more face-to-face time together because she's so interesting and has a gracious and encouraging spirit, spirit. She was a blessing in so many ways. As we discussed our podcast, she shared that she struggles with PTSD, so I assumed she'd been in the military. However, when she shared about her childhood abuse that, the, that she had endured, it was a new revelation to me to learn that PTSD was not limited to the traumas experienced in military service, but rather it's attached to trauma, period. And as Christians, we know that God can and does do a supernatural healing. But the reality for some people, and I'm included in this, is that there are times when God chooses for whatever sovereign reason to leave our mountain unmoved And rather challenge us to find him in our pain, to discover what he wants to reveal about himself in our trauma. How refreshing was it for me to hear Amy admit that, for her to say that her reality is that she frequently works through her triggers and on a daily basis if needed. Like me, Amy knows that God heals in layers. We get levels of breakthrough or peace or freedom, but there may still be more healing to be had. If you experience a trigger associated with your traumatic experience, then there's more freedom and healing left. And God wants to reveal himself to you in your pain. He wants to rewrite the lies and the wounds of this life. Amy has practical solutions for dealing with triggers from trauma. She talks about the importance of community, counseling, and church. Something else that was interesting to me was when she talked about why we shouldn't compare our pain, rating them for severity, and it has to do with the window of tolerance. Amy's so passionate to let you know that you are not alone, that there are realistic ways to work your healing, and that there is always, always, always hope. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for being here today, taking the time to talk about PTSD, trauma, what that looks like in the lives of people, women, especially with COVID going on, and we're seeing an increase in domestic violence. Why is this topic so important to you?
0: Hey, Sherry. Well, first of all, I want to thank you. I know that as a fellow podcaster, I don't give away my mic very often. And so thank you for the opportunity to be here. I always am appreciative of an opportunity to talk. Uh, and speak into the lives of women, or anyone really who have, who has experienced trauma. And so, wow, what a loaded question! Why is it important to me? Well, in short, Sherry, I am a survivor of thirty five years of, of of trauma, ranging from childhood abuse to domestic violence. And essentially, I went looking for resources at the, when the pandemic happened in March of twenty twenty, and I lost my business and didn't have anything to do and couldn't find resources. And so I began to take a deep dive on this diagnosis that I got 12 years ago and began to understand it. And I, and, and then I began to understand that probably everybody needed some understanding on this term that we throw around PTSD. And so it has become my passion. It has become my calling. It is where God has me right now. I spent a fair amount of my time talking about this. And so I, I love anytime I get the opportunity to do it.
1: What can you share with listeners today that opens up the dialogue, maybe even just internally for them about childhood trauma? Do you feel like your family of origin set you up for trauma? Do you think the trauma set you up for decisions that you made later in life?
0: Yeah, it's a great question because childhood trauma is, is important to recognize because we receive messages as children as a result of the things that we go through. And there is a, there is a childhood messaging that I received that I was not wanted or loved. And that message was received with intent to harm. And so my very early trauma came from uh, neglect and abuse and abandonment from my own mom. And so what I can say to people out there with childhood trauma is the first thing I want to say, Sherry, is I'm so sorry. I really am. I'm so sorry because I know what you live with. I know when I always tell people there's two times when you're definitely, it's just you and 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 God and that's in the shower or when you lay your head down at night. And so if you've experienced childhood trauma, not only do I, I want to say that I'm so sorry, I want to say that I understand what those solitude moments look like for you. I understand that you're not giving yourself grace because you think it happened so long ago that you shouldn't, shouldn't still be affected by it. And so what I want to say is we're here to help. That's why we're doing this. And We want to provide information. I want, I want you to know that there's hope. You can't see me. We're on a Zoom call. Listeners, you can't see me, but there's hope. I should not be on this planet right now. The fact that I am is just because there is hope. No matter how, what you've been through, whether you're a child or an adult, there's hope. And so it's important to me to talk about it from that regard. But my message to people who have experienced childhood trauma is there is hope. And we want to tell you about that hope. And we want to give you those resources.
1: Earlier when we were talking, you shared that there was a, a time between 7 and 14 that you experienced abuse and foster care. Did you have any knowledge of God? And I guess what I'm looking for is, were you crying out to the Lord?
0: I did not as a child. Um, I, and and the, I got my knowledge of God by some faithful servants who came and and took me to church, came into the the, the slums of Jacksonville, Florida and took me to church. And so I knew God and i performed for god and i did all the things to get all the trauma to stop because that was my understanding of god did i ever have a john the baptist moment because of my trauma and 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 what i call, what i mean by the john the baptist moment is john the baptist who was the forerunner of christ baptized jesus he was in prison when jesus started his ministry and actually his entire ministry and the apostles would come back and say Jesus is doing this. Jesus is doing this. And John the Baptist finally said, can you ask Jesus a question for me? And I can imagine them going, yeah, sure. Would you go back and ask him if he's coming for me? Is he the long awaited one or should I be looking for somebody else? And so to answer your question, have I had that moment? I have had many of them. And one of them was when I was 35, 36 years old, where I had continued to run hard and fast, ignoring all the trauma, like you, like you said from age seven to age 14, every type of abuse that you can imagine, removed by the state from my mom, put into a children's home. And I just ran fast and hard to that, graduated from college, got married to an unsafe man, lived in a 12-year domestic violence marriage, left him, made it for a year before my crisis of faith sent me to the psych ward where I had a complete nervous breakdown. And I had a choice at that point did I believe in this God or not? And I had that moment and I had, and I've had it several times since actually.
1: And I think it's genuine. I like that, that you were genuine about that, that sometimes our our faith comes under fire and we have to lean in to find, is he really real? Is he who he says he is? Is he going to do what he said he was going to do? You know, can he back his word up? And so I think that's an authentic struggle with this life Mm -hmm. and the profession of a good God. Yes. A minute ago, you said as a child, you were being taken to church. And so you knew about God and you were performing, you know, trying to do all the right things. But I see that even as adults, that we want to do the right thing in order to please God in order to find his favor. And I think back a child from seven to 14, I'm not sure, you know, to lean into God for a relationship, especially when relationship hasn't been trustworthy. But maybe as adults, we have to really challenge our performance, our doing for God versus being with God. Uh, Do you see a distinction there?
0: I could not agree with you more. And and our God wants nothing more than for us to just, like you said, lean into him. It, when you think about it, Jesus, like I envision that little girl. And, and I'm thinking of one particular trauma. I remember walking down the stairs at the end of a, of a horrible night and I, I went and did things I was providing for myself. I went literally Sherry and cut somebody's azaleas off their bush and sold them. I was like seven years old, sold the azaleas to go get food. But in this period that I'm in my life now, I'll be 50 years old this year. I still struggle with this, this what we're talking about. And as I pray through it and ask God, to, like, can you come to me and help me understand where were you? And sometimes where are you? And the Lord just gave me this word picture of that seven-year-old toe-headed Amy at the bottom of those stairs where Jesus came and knelt down, grabs my hand, puts it into his, and I feel that nail scar hand. And he says, me too, Amy, me too. Mm. Because the father turned the back on him when he died on the cross for our sins. And so I just have this vision. I wish I could draw Because it would make it would be I I would put it everywhere in my house so I could remember that we do not love, as Hebrews 4.15 tells us. We do not serve a high priest who is unfamiliar with our sufferings. He gets it. And he loves when we bring our pain to him. Because Mm -hmm. just like me, put your name behind that. Me, Jesus said to me, Me too, Amy, me too. Me too, Sammy, me too, Johnny. Yeah. That's how I that's the only way to deal.
1: When you say that, it reminds me that the reason God is trustworthy with our pain is because he does show up with his scars and he says, yes. I know, sweetheart, I know, trust yeah. me, I will get you through th- I will walk you through this. I will be with you through this process of healing, redemption, and the beauty that he adds to the reality of the evil, the darkness.
0: Right. And they coexist. Life. And that's hard for us to live in that tension of He is both good and there and all powerful and all knowing and all the things. And we live in a broken world. So we're going to experience trauma at the hands of other people or whatever, because we live in a broken world. And that's a tension that we have to sit in. And and I ultimately, in my John the Baptist moment, had no other place to go than the ultimate truth of uh, that God is God. He is who he says he is. He does what he says he does because nothing else made sense to me. It took more faith for me to believe in nothing than it did for me to believe in the God of the universe. And so that's where I land. And I still have those John the Baptist moments because my the scars from my trauma are still here. And And we can talk about that a little bit more because I think some people get frustrated with themselves when they can't quote, move on. He's an amazing God and he does, re- Joel 2.25 tells us, I will restore all the years that the locusts have stolen. And Sherry, you're looking across the Zoom screen at a miracle. Listeners, you're listening to the, f- the, the fulfillment of Joel 2.25 because he is restoring all of those years that, that our enemy has stolen from me on this very day in 2021.
1: That's beautiful music to hearts, a, a salve to souls to hear that God does redeem, God does restore. That's powerful. What is something about your experience that you want to create a connection with listeners today? What do you want to share with them about that seven-year-old to 14-year-old who's surviving under extreme, harsh, violent, evil conditions?
0: There's not enough time in that universe, but I want to say to all listeners that there's hope that there is, we have this hope that I know that it seems like you will never be okay again. It may seem like you can never cry again. It may seem, you may have broken relationship after broken relationship as a result of what you've been through, but I can promise you just like gravity that there is hope. I don't have another way to explain to you how there is such hope without the hope that we find in Jesus and his finished work for us on the cross. But not only is there hope in Jesus, there's resources out there, there's hope, and there's healing. And I want to be a good steward of my own pain by telling you that, by sharing um, that hope with you, and it ultimately comes in Jesus. But you are not alone. Your trauma matters. And you are seeing You're known, you're heard, you're loved, and you're valued. And what I hope you can find is one little shred of something where you can pull the strand where you begin to find out what that hope is, regardless of whether that's going to counseling, opening your Bible, finding somebody at your church, reaching out to one of us. I want you to know that while your heart will never be the same and the scars will probably always be there unless you... you, experience supernatural healing. There is hope. And here's the other thing, Sherry, there is purpose. You may not have a voice where you'll get behind microphones and keyboards and podiums like I do, but there is purpose because there's somebody out there behind you in their journey that's going to need to watch you and watch you take steps towards healing. Watch you live in the, uh, the healing ING life, not the healed life, because we will not be healed on this on this side of heaven watch you live in the healing life, watch me living the healing life, wherever, wherever you can find me on this podcast, social media, my own podcast, there's such hope. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but there's such hope. You don't have to live in the depths of all the things that trauma brings to you. You don't have to live there all the time. There's hope. That's my message.
1: And that's a beautiful message. My listeners are not seven to 14 years old, but that connection you just made with the fact that it's a healing process. So you're speaking to that little girl inside of that woman who's still living those traumas. And I love that you're saying, but there is healing. You don't have to live in that all the time. Did you forget how to dream?
0: Oh yeah. Wow. What a great question. Holy moly. No one's ever asked me that question. Yeah, I didn't even know how to dream. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any context for how to dream. And as a matter of fact, that is just coming online for me now. Like, wait, I can, like, I'll give you an example. You may, you may edit this out, but recently I dated somebody for about six weeks after having been divorced for over 10 years from a domestic violence situation. And the fact that my, like my heart did things like, I was like, what, what, wait, what is going on right here? And even though that relationship didn't work out, I was really so grateful for, like whoa, this is what this is why people date. This is why people do things because I my heart had been so injured by my domestic violence. I never even knew it was possible for me to my heart to beat again, as the Danny Gokey song says. That is such a great question because I never knew how to dream. Just always lived in survival mode. Always lived in in survival mode, and so that is a phenomenal question. And the answer to your question is, I'm still learning how to dream.
1: I love that though, that you're still learning how to dream. And I, yeah. even the comment you're just making about your heart did some things like what, but to know that your heart's still alive. Yes. You can still feel.
0: Yeah. Cause you get numb. I, you know, I spent years of not being, I, I would cry at a grocery store commercial, but not at my own pain. Mm. You know, I would tell you my story. Like I was giving you directions to the bank, giving it no, I, I'm going to use the word power here. And I don't mean that like giving it power over me or dominion over me but giving it respect giving it the respect that it deserves and and i and i think that that's important and so yeah there was a time when i could not only not dream but i couldn't cry i was a robot walking around because i i just left all that unchecked Somebody had improperly given me, I believe it's Luke nine forty two, where the Bible says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so I had been taught, or at least I thought that verse meant my whole life. I can't deal with that stuff. I can't get help. I must keep going forward. And that, in fact, is not what that verse means at all. Jesus was saying to all the people who were given excuses of why they couldn't literally follow him, not if you've had trauma and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. But I lived a lot of my years thinking that. And so I was a robot no emotion, no emotion at all. Couldn't cry. Couldn't deal with it.
1: I love that you're bringing this up. I love it. We do live as if things haven't happened, or we don't have permission. We don't have the right to talk about it again, because it's past. But I have learned that trauma will wait for you. And the body tries to process it. So then you acquire habits, maybe that you are not healthy or, or even legal, survival skills. Coping mechanisms. Coping yeah. mechanisms. So this is important to me that we dig around a little bit in this about acting like we do not have permission or the right or the need to discuss and continually talk about trauma. So it sounds like you did exactly that. You did not talk yeah. about your trauma. You did not dwell on it. You plowed through it. And what did it cost you mentally, emotionally, physically?
0: Yeah. So I spent five days in the psych ward and that was terrifying. It was horrible. It was, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. One night, Sherry, um, you just said something that is so profound and so true is that trauma will wait for you. And so I was teaching high school at a Christian school and also a college level class at this school. And to make a long story short, I could not sleep the night before because of my PTSD and all of its demons and all the things that it does. And so I took a clonopin, which is very similar to Valium or Xanax is in that family for every hour that the clock ticked. And because I could, the, the, the demons were just coming after me. It didn't matter how much I shut doors and, and nailed nails and put barriers up and all of it. it was coming after me. And it came after me that night. I took nine Klonopin that night. Now I did not die. Thankfully I wasn't trying to die. I was just trying to go to sleep literally. Cause I had to be in front of chemistry class at seven thirty the next day. That's what happens when you don't, at least that's what happened to me. I'm not saying that's what happened to everybody because what happens to some people is that if they don't experience, if they don't deal with their trauma, this is where we, where, where substance abuse comes in. This is, and, and when I say substance abuse, I'm not just talking about alcohol and, and drugs. This is where, codependent relationships come in. This is where you'll see survivors of trauma, particularly women, go from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, this is where you see people with issues with food. A lot of trauma survivors have issues. I'm on the the, the anorexic side of it, but you'll see people who particularly have been abused will, will eat themselves into unattractiveness almost to physically insulate them from somebody harming them again. And so These are some of the things that can happen if we're not, if, if we do not pay attention to it, if we continue to try to keep going backwards.
1: And that's important to know because we do more damage, but I wonder, I'm sitting here thinking too, but sometimes it seems more appealing, which I don't know why, to act out in those ways rather than face the pain again. What does, can you make any sense of that? Why? Why?
0: Because facing the pain requires something of me Mm -hmm. and it requires something huge of me. And one of them is forgiveness, right? So Mm -hmm. facing the pain puts me accountable to scripture and it sucks. It's not fun. It is not fun. And it is not for the weak of heart. It is not for someone who doesn't have a community around them. If we sit in the, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. Your body will deal with it. I have four autoimmune diseases, Sherry, from from, uh, ignoring this. My body has kept the score. That's a great book, by the way. My body has kept the score. And so listeners out there, I read another book recently called When the Body Says No. And they did a study on ALS patients. That's Lou Gehrig's disease. And even though they couldn't make it scientific because there's not a way to measure how nice somebody is. But 90% of ALS patients had had suppressed trauma, suppressed anger, suppressed everything. They just moved forward in life, never said no to anybody, just plowed through. 90% of people were the highest on the quote likability scale because they were trying to perform, perform, perform to get somebody to like them so they didn't have to deal with what was back there. 90% of ALS patients studied in this study had had unresolved trauma in their lives.
1: Trauma is huge. Yeah. So maybe we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves. So let's pause for just a moment. Talk to me about what is PTSD? What exactly is that?
0: That stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Some, some, some lanes have taken the D off of that because it's not a disorder. Um, it's basically the brain's response to how we would expect it to respond to trauma. But post-traumatic stress disorder is psychological mental disease slash illness, although I even hesitate to use those words because there's a causation of it. Unlike some of the other things like depression or bipolar, where there's a there's a chemical imbalance, there's issues with the brain itself. PTSD has a causation agent that that happened. And what that was was trauma. And trauma by definition, and, and let's back up just for a second, because you said something in, in our pre-interview where most people think that PTSD is only military, because that's where the term was coined originally in the 50s. They called it shell shock when people were coming back from World War. And I, and I have my year wrong on that. I have a degree in biology, not history. But when they came back from World War II, they were like, these, these men came back shell shocked. And what they had was PTSD because they had experienced trauma. And most people don't understand the definition of trauma. And so trauma is basically different for us all. And the Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. We are all made differently. And one of my hesitations always, Sherry, in these interviews is that people will say, well, my trauma is not as bad as Fill in the blank. Mine, yours, Sherry, somebody they know, I should be strong enough to be able to handle this. Well, what we need to understand about trauma that causes PTSD, right? Unlike a chemical imbalance that causes depression or even anxiety, something happened to you to give you PTSD. Usually your safety was compromised. By and large, you can cover all trauma with your safety was compromised in some way. But The reason why I bring up Psalm 139 and how we are fearfully and wonderfully made differently is because a lot of people will say, yeah, but I grew up with, and I myself grew up with a sister who was not as affected as I was in in the same way. And we experienced the same trauma because our brains have this fancy psychological term called a window of tolerance. So picture it as a box in your head. And God has created our brains to be able to process, metabolize, and clear, as that's another psychological term, certain things. We're all different. Some people can see the same thing and be fine, and the other person isn't. And so when an event happens to us that has compromised our safety, that pushes our brain outside of the ability to deal, and it really shuts down a part of the brain that does all the good stuff for us, the logical part that tells us the truth of the gospel, or the truth of the situation, then that is trauma. When you when an event has happened in your life that has pushed your brain outside of the ability to deal, and then there's complex PTSD. And really, that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize the difference between that is just complex PTSD is what I have, and is what happens when you don't deal with it, and your body begins to literally physically be affected, then they call it complex because now they have to bring in rheumatologists. For me, I have celiac disease, a GI doctor. I have a thyroid autoimmune disorder, so an endocrinologist. And so that's the difference between post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress is now medical doctors are beginning to see scars, if you will, from the trauma. And so I hope that answers your question because a lot of people don't understand what trauma is, much less what PTSD is. But post-traumatic stress disorder is because something happened to you that pushed your brain outside of that window of tolerance and your ability to deal.
1: And that window of tolerance also, in my opinion, it helps explain why we rate and compare each other's pain and suffering.
0: Yes. And that is something that just, bought, it just makes me so sad because I hear it a lot people will DM me or something after hearing my, my story somewhere or listening to my podcast and they'll be like, I don't, I don't have the trauma that you have, but, and then that after that, but we can all write that narrative. This is, this is what's happening to me. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
1: I feel like if they're connecting with you in some way, they're sending you a message, then their trauma has affected them to the level right. that yours has affected you.
0: Yeah, so. I tell people all the time, if you're asking me, about it, you probably need need to, to, to investigate it. And and that is by and large by trauma-informed counseling, in my opinion. And, and that's been what saved my life. And it, the Lord has really provided that as a tool for me.
1: Earlier on, you spoke about demons. Can you tell me a little bit, what's it like to go through a demon attack mentally, emotionally, physically? And then is it that you just survive it? Or as believers, you and I know Christ is there. And so he's limiting things, but in the moment that you're going through it, it might not feel that way.
0: No. And you know, we have an enemy that, that has come to destroy us. And, and we know that. And I think the hardest part for me, when I, when I'm under attack by our enemy and he's going to use my, my trauma to, to get me is I literally can't tell the difference between the truth and the lie. And so I have this thing that I that I do is like okay if I'm if I'm entered into an activated state with my trauma and what I mean by that is panic attacks, can't sleep, having flashbacks at night, can't eat. Like I said on that anorexic side, and so when I'm beginning to see those things, I used to just not even give Satan credit for lack of a better way to explain that. But he he is so sh- he is so shrewd in what he does. Is it very difficult to realize that whoa this is Satan? I am under attack. And so I would fight it with a water gun. I wouldn't fight it with scripture. I, w- I would fight it with a water gun or whatever else. And so now when I get those those signals that my body is telling me that I'm living in the trauma, that something is activated, and I don't always know what it is. I was giving you an example that I'm visiting my friend right now in Pennsylvania, and she has some ivory soap in her shower, which I, I used as a child, and it triggered me. And Satan will take that and run with it. That night, I didn't sleep. I had flashbacks and all the things. I read this in a book by an author who I really like. It was a fictional book. She had a line in it. The lie I told myself today is X. And so when I feel under attack, when these things are happening to me, I get to that place way faster than I used to. It used to be a huge walk back. Like I would have to walk it back. But now I'm like, nope, this isn't Philippians 4.8. This isn't any of those eight things that I've memorized that verse. But every time I get put on the spot, I can't tell you what they are. But if it doesn't filter through the good, praiseworthy, excellent, true, noble, good report, if it doesn't fall in one of those eight things, it is likely coming from our enemy. And it's like shifting set shells at the beach. Nope, not good, not praiseworthy, not trustworthy, not knowing, not any of those things. So let me go back. And- Get my Bible and put down my water gun and fight this battle or let let God fight this battle for me, because that's what He wants to do. And spoiler alert, he wins in the end.
1: Amen. When you mentioned soap just a minute ago, it brought back a childhood memory, the best description that I have of my family when I was young is that I never had anywhere solid to plant my feet. It was always shifting sands. You didn't know what you were going to get today. You're not quite sure. And one of the things my mother used to do is if we talked sassy or maybe I said a curse word. One time I came home, I'd heard a curse word at, at school. So I came home using this curse word just as bold as, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. Maybe I didn't know it was a curse word. Anyway, she heard me. So what we would get was either one or two spoonfuls of liquid palm olive. And we would have to swallow it right? So she's waiting for you to swallow. The, and that smell of liquid palm olive, my mom used it till the day we had to put her in nursing care because she was have, falling too often and she was having many strokes. The Lord had been actively working with me in order to forgive her. It's too long of a process to share too with you of going, getting to forgiveness. But I knew that it was real the day that I was smelling liquid palm olive and it did not trigger me like it had done before so many years before. But when Looking at what the example you just gave and then thinking about mine, it tells me that Satan attaches himself to traumas in our childhood, and then he uses them against us as often as possible. So meaning even in this place of healing where you're at today and the freedom that you have and the tools that you use, you still have these triggers where the trauma that Satan attached him to, he comes at you again with it. Talk to me a little bit, having to still deal with trauma despite the progress you've made.
0: Thank you for asking that because it's, it's real and I don't want people to think when they see me somewhere, or see my, my Instagram life, which looks all great and marvelous and mighty. I don't want them to think because even though I am healing and God is allowing me to be a good steward of my pain, what it feels like to sit in those moments is, is, is torture and, and it's, and it's very, and, and, and it's hard not to get bitter It's hard not to, to even be mad at God. I shared something with you earlier because my question has always been, and it sometimes still is when I'm living in this trauma is where are you? Like you said, you were everywhere. You were all powerful. Why didn't you all those peppering him with all of those questions. And I went through this real crisis of faith. If John the Baptist struggled, with seeing Jesus in the flesh, then of course I'm going to struggle with my faith, and so more often than not, Sherry, I struggle with that "why" question to God: Why? Why? Why am I still de- Why am I still dealing with this? I do all the things. I'm doing stuff. I'm being a good steward of the pain. Why is the trauma still here? And the response back was: I was telling you just like this picture that I got in my head of this little seven-year-old Amy. I was toe-headed as I could be. And I have a very vivid memory of walking down some stairs out of a house of a of, of man who had abused me. And I just envision, and this is what I do now when I get in those trauma moments, is I envision Jesus leaning down to that little seven-year-old little girl. And I didn't know, I don't know what to do in that context. And I still don't know what to do with Jesus. I don't know what to do. Like you're all knowing, but yet I still and you're all powerful and you could have stopped it, but yet I still live in this trauma. You can heal me now. But yet I still live in this trauma. And so the picture that is in my head is Jesus leaning down and grabbing my hand because I'm not going to grab his because I don't trust him because I have trauma and I don't trust anybody. And he, and he puts my hand in his to feel those scars. And the words that I just I didn't audibly hear it. I'm not weird, y'all. It was him as I my little old hand is touching that scar. Me too, Amy, me too. And so. In those it's so important for me to stay indoctrinated in scripture and in community with people who remind me who I am, whose I am, and to lean into the pain and to understand that God's okay with those questions. And so I still ask them because it's so frustrating. I live with a heart issue that COVID could, could literally kill me. That was as a result of one of those traumas. It's a long story. I don't have time for it here. But every time I have to write a check to the doctors for those meds. Or every time I was locked in my house, and and I'm an extreme extrovert, when I was locked in my house for almost a year, those questions reminded me of that trauma every day. And it still does. Every time I have to take that pill to to keep my heart beating, it reminds me of that trauma. So I have to make a choice, and I don't always do it well. I have to make a choice to submit myself under the all-knowing power of God and understanding that as I described in that picture to you, Hebrews 4.15 tells us, and I may have already said this, but I say it a lot. We do not serve or love a high priest who is unfamiliar with our sufferings because Jesus has the ultimate scar, as you mentioned, and when we talked earlier. And so the long answer to your question is I have to make a choice. Sometimes I'm still mad at God, but I'm going to show compassion for myself. And instead of running hard and fast towards performance, I am going to be still. I'm going to lean into the pain. And this is kind of newish for me. Not going to avoid it. I'm going to show myself some compassion, show myself some love. And I'm going to journal. I'm going to call my counselor. I have a group of friends that I call my core four. I'm going to call them. I'm going to to a podcasting conference when i need to be doing something else which is where you and i met. i'm going to be kind to myself in these moments and because we're survivors particularly chronic trauma we are strong strong strong-willed people and so i'm stubborn about being kind to myself which is hilarious to me but i've done a lot of work in my counselor's office of learning to show compassion for that trauma And when it decides to show up, I have to believe that that is also from God. And it's a moment for me to go, okay, what do you have for me here? What do you have for me here? And to get the answer to that question, I have to sit in that tension of God is both good and I am living in an activated trauma state. Both of those things are true. So what do you want from me here right now in this moment? And normally I would go work, I I would do a million things rather than sit in my house, often by myself, sometimes in a dark room, I'm not going to lie, with tears streaming down my face. And I I go to music, so I'll pop on YouTube and just listen to music. And there's a song, it's called Gyra. The lyrics of that song, it says, I've never, and this is what I have to remember in that tension. I've never been more loved than I am right now. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I've never been more loved than I am right now. I don't hold you up, so I'm not going to let you down. I've never been more loved than I am right now. And when the trauma comes back and I get activated, I know that there's something still that needs to be healed or at least attended to. And so for me to go, I don't need to do anything to please God. The father told Jesus he was pleased with him before he did anything, before he did one single miracle. Now I'm accountable to my counselor and to my friends when those things happen. I just got to sit sometimes. And again, in a dark room, sometimes listening to music because I don't have the words and go, what, what do you have for me here? And sometimes God says, I just want you to chill for a second. Can you just be quiet and sit in my love because I've never been more loved than I am right now. And for my personality type who, I I want to be like them. We all do. I tend to have gotten an extra dose of that. That is the message I need to hear. But it is a process. And people need to know that if you are, if you have trauma or you love somebody with trauma, if you have trauma, you need to be patient with yourself. If you love somebody with trauma, you need to be patient with them. Let them process. Let them sit in dark rooms. Let them get in a car and play music, you know, break the speakers. Let them do whatever. They need to do to not slough off that trauma, because when you slough off that trauma, you are really pushing away an opportunity to be in such commune with God. You're like, help. I am literally at the bottom of a pit. I need you. What a beautiful opportunity. And I'm grateful for my trauma for that reason. that I I get to sit in community with a savior who is not unfamiliar with how I'm feeling in that moment because he died on a cross and was rejected by his own father. Turn his back on him.
1: For us. For us. You're right. He shows up with scars in his hands and his feet. And also to, to lend more to your point, God never leaves us alone. And in those moments of stress, trauma, there is something for us in that it, with regard to him revealing himself to us in an intimate way. And so, as you said, if you rush through that, you miss what he wants to show you, what he wants to download into your spirit about him and the attentiveness, the intimacy in those quiet moments when you have no words. And for me, you know, when I lost my husband, complete shock, didn't even couldn't even function really for a week or so, totally isolated for the majority of the year. And you have nowhere to go, nothing to say. And then he shows up and the the beauty of his presence gives you a peace despite the fact that you're dealing with great trauma, but there is his presence in the midst of it. And I feel like from my perspective, his presence is the beauty in the midst of the trauma. The fact that he would enter into that with us. And he
0: delights to do that, right? Like he he loves doing that. For the parents out there, and I'm for the Enneagram too and me, there's nothing more that you could do and come and ask me for help. But think how much more God loves it. Sherry, there have been times when I literally think that I can't take another breath because the pain is so palatable because my trauma didn't stop when I got out of that domestic violence marriage. I mean, it, it just continued. And, and, and then the loss associated often with trauma, the, the physical loss of my trauma makers, my mom and my ex-husband are gone. Right. So, so there's no, there's nothing on this planet that's going to satisfy this longing in my heart because I can't go to them. They can't say they're sorry. I don't, my mom died when I was 19. So I was 30 years ago. And so I, have to enter in with with God, because He's the only option I have. And so some of people out there listening may be able to get some closure in some of those things. But at the end of the day, you realize that God is all you need when you realize that's all you have. People are really we really jump quickly to blame God for our trauma because he could have fixed it in all of these things. But what if we thanked Him? for the opportunity to have something to live on this planet with, to be able to turn into purpose. Like Paul, my, my life versus Philippians one 12 where Paul said, and anybody that knows about Paul who wrote the majority of the new Testament, he persecuted Christians. And then he himself was persecuted. And we know he lived with a thorn in the flesh, which I call my PTSD. But Paul says in Philippians one I want you to understand that the things that have happened to me have really happened to further the gospel. And to me, you talk about a, 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 a balm to my soul. It's like, okay, this isn't pointless. Somebody's going to hear that there's hope somewhere That because I got behind a microphone, a keyboard, or a podium. They're going to hear of the God of the universe who loves them so much. There's purpose to that. Makes it, it, it makes it all
1: doable. And when you think about the creator... His investment in us, not only that he would fashion us in a a unique individual way, but that he is invested in us. Every drop of his son's blood is the investment that he's made to show us who he is. He doesn't hide. He doesn't play games. He really wants us to engage him, to turn the eyes of our heart toward him and to be vulnerable to him. And when you come from an abusive background, vulnerability is a scary word. Trust. Have you been able to overcome that vulnerability or trust? Are you where are you at on the range of being vulnerable to Christ, trusting Christ?
0: Another great question. It is a work in progress. My counselor the other day asked me, "How can you allow God to care for you today?" And and you, you, I think we're similar in age. Um, you remember Scooby Doo? That sound? Yeah. When she asked me that, I was like it was like a deer in headlights. It was on Zoom like this. And I was like, I didn't say it, but that was immediately the sound that came in my head. It was like a roo. And so this chasing of how God can, how can I allow God to care for me today? And so I wake up asking myself that question because I still take, I still take the reins from him. I still get off that throne and think I can do it better than him. I still think I can. And so I am very early in my journey of Authentic vulnerability, trusting that God can do everything He says He can do in Isaiah forty-three. When you walk through the waters, when you walk through the fire, when you walk through all the things that we're describing, I will be there. I I believe that most days, but not all, all the time. And so I'm pretty early in in that journey. And that is a phenomenal question that I've also never been asked. The stripped down, honest ver- answer to your question is very, very early, because I couldn't answer her question. I still can't answer that question. How can I allow God to care for me? Besides that, well, he can give me food and the, and a roof and the this and the that. But it's very difficult for me to articulate, to formulate, well, he can. And she, my counselor still waiting for the answer to the question. But because I'm seeking it, I know that I'll find it, but I am still very early on and not taking the reins back from God, because I think he, you know, maybe needs a break for me and I can might be able to do it a little bit
1: better. I love you. (laughs) You're so, I love your transparency and your authenticity because it's true. We do struggle with trying to take, trying to go back into our normal pattern of living, survival mode. I I left my house with more survival skills than relationship skills and still work on them. But even when I was married, that challenged all of those habits and survival skills that I had acquired. And I had to somehow learn to transform them into relationship skills. And I'm not so sure that I got it right. Raising my kids, I went from an abusive situation to a physically abusive, mental, emotional abuse, into raise two boys and wondering what in the world have I gotten myself into. But partnering with the Lord and the stuff that he revealed to me about parenting is all God. I was not equipped to be a parent. So that God shows up in trauma he guides us through trauma. He shows us more of who he is in trauma, pain, suffering. So there is beauty, despite mm-hmm. the reality of this life is painful a lot of times.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you know, there's a verse that I love so much. So this is where I go. When it's the worst it's ever been. There's a verse in Romans eight eighteen, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so for listeners out there who are just, your heart is gaping with pain. Know that if you don't see that pain completely gone on this planet, that you have no idea what it's producing for you from an eternal perspective. And that was another verse written by Paul who had been through quite a bit. And, and I just love that verse. It gives me chills even saying it to you. And I've said it a million times, like these sufferings are not worthy to be compared to what's gonna happen. Mm. It's like watching from the elation standpoint, it would be like my team winning the Super Bowl and somebody going, oh, you haven't even seen anything yet. There's a much better feeling than even that. They were, they're going to be the world champions. And then we found out there's a football team on Mars and you're going to beat them too. You can't even comprehend what this suffering is actually producing in you from an eternal perspective. Like you can't even comprehend, like you think you're there and you're like this. Okay. I'm good. I see it. And I have days like that. Today's one of them, which is why I I do interviews on days like this. Like I see the purpose of all of it today. I'm good today. Tomorrow. I may not be, but to understand that, that, that this doesn't even begin to explain what we're going to experience forever in heaven. It doesn't even begin to compare.
1: Can you speak to sharing in the sufferings of Christ? Ooh.
0: You know, I think that in my darkest hours, I really do picture him in the garden where he just begged God, can, this, can, can you pass this cup from me? And knowing that my Savior felt that way.
1: Do you think it, the demons were whispering in his ears?
0: I do, yeah, I do. I, do I think that uh, I think three times to be exact, maybe more times than than he articulated. But I do. I think he had demons. We know that his closest tribe couldn't even hang right, and so the ultimate loneliness. And so I think of those times when I tell you I'm sitting in a dark room and I'm processing whatever's going on that day. I think I think back to Jesus in the garden, and I think I, I can't even possibly begin to feel what he felt he was both god and man about to give his life the ultimate sacrifice and being denied by the father three times pass this cup pass this cup pass this cup no 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 and then and then getting on the cross and my god my god why have you forsaken me and so when i think of that that is the only trauma that we may compare ours to in my opinion is his is like I don't know what it's like being fully God and then still living in this pain, being present in this pain. And so that helps me in sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, because it helps me understand the sufferings. I'll tell you what it makes. It makes salvation so precious to me, because if you've shared in that suffering, if you felt abandoned by someone like he did, if you've been through pain like he did, then you know, it's one of those, if you know, you know kind of things. And so in that regard, I am grateful for the gift that is suffering because it does allow me to go there. And what better place? I I love this picture that my counselor has in in his office. And it's Jesus holding a man who has just literally fallen into Jesus's arms. And the man has a hammer because he put the nails in there too. And so did I, and so did you, and so did everybody listening. But yeah, Jesus still just shared in in that moment. And so The fact that he went to the cross for me allows me to go. I serve and love a savior who gets it. And so sharing in his suffering is a privilege, to be honest with you.
1: The fact that God said no to Jesus really highlights his no to me on several occasions throughout my life. And also asking him, even when my husband was on that steel gurney, he's clearly passed away. But I'm like, Lord, you raised Lazarus from the dead. If you yeah. gave that to us as an example, I believe that it's possible. So I put my hands on him and just said, in the name of Christ, Jesus, breathe. And of course, it didn't happen. But that what Christ did for us affords us these things. But he still yeah. said no. And I had to receive the no. But I have to believe that it's also for a bigger purpose. What that is, I don't know. But when God says no, it has to be that it's a good no, not a bad no. So I hang on to that as well. God's doing something bigger that I'm not aware of or not privy to behind the scenes about it. But he's good. And so his no is still good.
0: And he's sovereign. And sometimes in your darkest hour, you just... You literally just have to say there are two truths in this world, gravity and the sovereignty of God. And I don't get it. Either one of them. I don't understand gravity, even though I have a degree in pre-med, but it happens if I drop something right now, it's going to fall. And, and God is sovereign. And sometimes that can send people into a darker place because as we've just discussed, then you, you get, you peppered with the whys and the what's and all the things. But when I lay my head down at night, I know he's sovereign. And so for you, Like to have that vision in your mind of your husband on the steel gurney and you couple that with the sovereignty of God, it's a head scratcher, you know, in so many ways, but to have the privilege, to have the faith and I don't know what it is. And it will probably be the second question I ask him when I get to heaven is like, what were you thinking when you took my husband like that? Um, And that's okay. It's okay to ask it now. If listeners are out there, he loves our questioning. It's a lot better than the silence or the standoff.
1: Yeah, because you open the door for a conversation with him and you open a way for him to reveal himself to you. And I do believe that it's part of the process of healing that we struggle well with God. We ask mm-hmm. the tough questions, even if it's accusatory, even if it's you know filled with pain that comes out as rage or Or however it manifests itself, as long as you're processing and talking. Because what I found was when I had moments like that of not understanding why this good God I professed would allow the death of my husband, a good man, he never once shamed me for my questioning. He never once shamed me, rejected me. And I've said it before it's like I would pour out my pain and it was as if it dissolved, that he received it and. So I learned that I'm safe in that way with yeah. him. He's not going to use it against me. I'm safe to be me and to question him. But it also moved me into laying down my self-described rights to have all my answers, mm-hmm. you know, sound perfect, everything add up and resting in God's sovereignty is really Such a beautiful place to be. It releases you of so many things that you try to strap yourself with. And there's freedom in that. It's a beautiful place to be.
0: You hit the nail right on the head, the freedom. And so one thing trauma survivors feel often is trapped. Trapped in their pain, trapped in the memory, trapped in all the things. And so I am finding freedom and asking that question is, how can I allow God to care for me today? Living in the freedom that we don't have to be defined by what tried to break us, and, but living in that, that conversation, that sweet commune conversation with Jesus in the dark hours is a privilege that I would not give back if asked. And my trauma did that, but I wouldn't give it back if I was asked, it's too precious, it's too amazing to have that experience and I wouldn't give it away for a million dollars.
1: And as you say that, it reminds me that we can't trust everyone with our pain. They're not trustworthy. And so that brings me to a place of tools. And how can we find trustworthy people? What can we do to help us with our trauma?
0: Great question. And that is a very astute observation because I I used to just tell everybody, anybody that would listen, and and I was giving no respect to that to that pain. And so you are absolutely right. We have to be very careful who we trust with our pain. And so... I, I will tell you what works for me. I call them the the three C's um, and they are community. That is a resource. And, and again, you can't trust everybody. I again have four people. I call them my 2 a.m. friends and I have and can and have called them at 2 a.m. And so community is really is a really important resource. A small group of people that you can trust with your pain that will see a trigger. I've got friends that read books in front of me and go, nope, don't read that book, or watch a movie in front of me. Community is really important. Keep you accountable, point you to Jesus, all the things. Trauma-informed counseling, absolutely a non-negotiable. I realize that not everybody can afford that. There are resources, and if you want to reach out to either one of us, we can give you some resources to help you with counseling. is a big one, and I want to come back to counseling in just a second. And then there's church. You have to be involved in a local church. And your community is probably going to be mostly from your church. And the reason why you need to be in a church and the church saved my life like three or four different times is because people poured into me. And when my faith was hard to find, as the old Bebo Norman song says, they let me borrow theirs. Back to counseling for a second. Traditional go into your counselor's office and sit down and tell your story. What we call traditional talk therapy is likely going to be frustrating to trauma survivors. Because they're just going to go in there and talk about it and walk out and feel worse than they did when they walked in because they've just revisited the pain with oftentimes with traditional talk therapy, no tools to, 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 to walk out of the office with. And so now you've walked into the office, you sat down, you poured your heart out to a counselor, and they've thrown whatever they learned 45 years ago at you. And it's very difficult to find a good counselor. Um, and you walk out feeling ill-prepared and probably going to go lean on one of your coping mechanisms because you've just unearthed a bunch of stuff with no tools to help you. And that was my experience very early on, right after I got out of the hospital until my counselor realized that my trauma was, was significant enough that he needed more tools in his tool belt to help me. We do not have time to go into the science of this, but listeners, if you just Google it, you'll understand it. But there's a, a, a treatment called EMDR, which essentially helps heal our brain. It helps my logical side and my emotional side talk to each other. And so EMDR helps me process. So so I will walk into his office and we will do EMDR and we will visit, revisit one of the traumas. And to put it into perspective with you, I've been in, in counseling for over a decade and we're just now getting to my childhood stuff. So now using EMDR, which again, makes my right side of my brain talk to my left side of the brain. So my emotional brain and my logical side, usually your emotional brain, which is the right side of your brain will trumpet in trauma. And so everything, you know, to be true, like two plus two is four, not when you're in trauma brain, that's what we call it trauma brain. God is good all the time. Not when you're in trauma brain, God is sovereign, not when you're in trauma brain. And so what EMDR helps do is get the trauma unstuck. Literally, it gets stuck in the middle of your brain. And it doesn't go to that left side, which tells you that you're okay now, that that's not happening now, that happened when you were seven, you're not seven anymore. And so EMDR has been an effective tool that counseling in general has saved my life, period, end of discussion. I have been on medications off and on over the years. I am fortunate enough to not struggle with some of the things that come with PTSD, like depression, where you need to balance the chemicals. But I have not been afraid to medicate. I've not always had to be on medication. I am at the moment and have been since the pandemic started. But medication is something that we, it's a whole other podcast. We need not be afraid to use. And then finally, finally, the star of the story who we've been talking about the entire time, who is Jesus, is my one and only tool. He is the Swiss army knife, if you will, of all the tools in my toolkit. But I do Enneagram work. I just dropped a podcast myself on trauma and the Enneagram. I am always seeking tools to help me. But community, my friends, my church, place to go where people are looking at me, where I'm under the word, where people are going, she's not okay. Let's help her. She needs to be reminded that God is sovereign and that he loves her and that we love her and that she's not eating let me talk to her roommate and find out why she's not eating that can that that community that I happen to find at church and then as I mentioned counseling and so those are tools there's lots of treatment options out there internal family systems is another one Um, I'm trying to think of a few other ones rapid response therapy is another one trauma-informed and everybody's going to freak out when they hear this last word but don't trauma-informed hypnotherapy so that's not actual hypnosis like Our generation, Sherry, has known it to be like they take control of your brain. No, it's trauma-informed hypnotherapy, which is basically calming your brain down enough and counseling to be able to to talk about it and process it. So EMDR, rapid response therapy, trauma-informed hypnosis, and then there's three Cs, community, church, and counseling. We just talked about more than all of that, the star of the story. So if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, you don't even know what we're talking about we reach out to one of us because there would be nothing more that we would like to do than to introduce you to the star of all of our stories because he wants in the end. He's waiting.
1: And he waits patiently yeah. to reveal himself to us, to pierce lies that we believe. One of the podcast episodes that I did prior to this one helped me to look at the fact that we a lot of times we come at god with what we think he wants to do who he we think he is and yet he's like baby if you'll just let me speak if you'll just spend some quiet time with me i will rewrite that for you because that's not true what you think i want to do who you think i am i have something different to show you about me and that quiet time with him opens up that space to commune with him and to discover those things so that whole community church and counseling three C strong pillars to bring healing. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that listeners must know? Just that they're not alone, you know, and to show your,
0: please, please, please find a way to show yourself some compassion because if, if this trauma is revisiting and it's affecting your life, it's affecting your health, please, please, please reach out to somebody, anybody, I know counseling costs money and people don't have it, but there are resources. But I want you to know that you're not alone. And I wanna say again to everyone out there and to you, Sherry, I am so sorry. Because I know, I know what it's like when you shut your eyes or when you get in the shower. I know. And it doesn't matter if it happened a decade ago and it's still bothering you, that's okay please, please don't go this alone. Please don't go at it alone. That, that would be my message.
1: And it's a beautiful message. Thank you very much for your kindness, even to me. I know my listeners will be comforted by your kindness as well And the message that you have. You've paid a high price to know what you know. So it's a beautiful thing that you would turn around and reach out your hand or extend your hand to someone else and say, hey, You're not alone. Even if I can't be with you, God is always with you. And to explore some resources, get connected up, find some tools to have a better quality of life. Don't be afraid of prescriptions um, to help give you that peace or the next level of of a a better quality of life. So I'm with you on that. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate you very much.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: And for my listeners today, I just want to remind you to keep the eyes of your heart on the God of the Holy Bible. He is writing a much bigger love story with you, an overarching love story with you, despite whatever this world tries to label you with, throw at you. He is writing a love story with you, his beloved. So keep your eyes on him. He loves you.